teachers are leaders. And we're here to emphasize the good in education, one practice, method, idea, or trend at a time. Thanks for being here. Welcome to the Teachers Are Leaders podcast, brought to you by the Warren Instructional Network, and I'm your host, Andrea Coachman. Okay, (laughs) we are back again for another episode, and I am pretty stoked today to be here with a literacy leader, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna call you a friend. I feel like we've done a lot over the years, Bria Jones. Thank you, Bria, for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Okay, so a little bit about Bria for you, um, my friends who are just tuning in and maybe don't know. I always learn so much about the interviewees when we're having these, which is great. But so, Bria, you've done a lot. I mean, you you taught some private preschool. You are now in your 13th year in public education where you've taught first and second grade, served as an instructional coach, dabbled quite a bit as a social studies coordinator and then tagged on to that um, literacy coordinator. You did both for a while, which that kind of blows my mind thinking through two content areas. Um, And now most recently, just the K-5 literacy coordinator um, in Frisco ISD. But I also like to know, I mean, during your master's work, you did some pretty cool things. One of which was tutoring some Burmese refugees. That, that to me, I'm like, okay, I need you to tell me a little bit more about that. (laughs) It was an incredible learning experience. Um, they had just come, they were living in Dallas and they needed some support, especially with literacy. And my master's program was partnering with them, um, through a grant. And it was, it was incredible, really incredible. Yeah. That is all. I feel like that's one of those experiences that then sticks with you forever and potentially shapes, you know, maybe some of the things, things that you do or the ways that you go in, in the different, in your different career paths. That's awesome. Um, okay. Well, so, you know, definitely the opposite of me, as far as you have all of that early literacy, learning how to read experience where I like to live in that secondary world and working in, I mean, so you're in Frisco ISD, which if you're listening and don't know where Frisco ISD is, it is a an extremely large, fast-growing district. I mean, so you work to support, you and your team work to support 43 elementary schools, which in just K-5, you're serving 30,000 students. Yes. That is huge. That is huge. And I, I mean, obviously have a special place in my heart for Frisco ISD. So my husband, brother-in-law, and father-in-law spent a lot of time in Frisco ISD. Um, my husband graduated from Frisco High School when it was the only high school in Frisco. Yeah. Yes. Now we just registered our son for kindergarten in Frisco ISD. So well, welcome back to the family. Thank you. Yes. Very exciting. Okay. So thinking about God, I mean, all of the, all of the educational experience you have, talk to us a little bit about a memory that sticks out, a favorite memory, whether it comes from, you know, you as being educated or you as an educator. Okay. I've got 
two. I could pare it down to two. Perfect. So one of them is from when I was teaching second grade. I um, taught a little boy named Aiden and he, he really hated reading. He hated it. He found it really challenging for him. There were a lot of circumstances around um, his life that made learning pretty difficult for him. And I will never in my life forget exactly where he was standing when he finished a book that I had been, you know, trying to get him to, to check out. I had been kind of doing some book intros for him and he fell in love with this book. It was the first book he had ever read all the way through on his own. And he, it was a series and he was hooked and to watch his whole body just light up as he kind of like stepped into his identity as a reader and a kid who actually liked books was pretty special. Yeah. I will, I will never forget it. No, I feel I got, you can't see it, but I got goosebumps from that story. Those are my favorite. And I feel like it's one of those where like, you probably remember exactly what you were wearing, where you were standing, mm-hmm. what he was wearing, what the yep. series is like. Yeah, that's absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and then the other one is very personal because I have a little boy who is in kindergarten now and um, we, he's in Frisco and we have had the most wonderful experience at his school and with his kindergarten teacher, she is just probably my favorite human ever. Um, and the thing, the memory that I will never forget was standing in my kitchen in October, November, and I was opening up, you know, his little take home pouch and inside it was everything that my team and I had been, um, hoping and visioning out with teachers, um, to build. And it, there were decodables, there were leveled texts, mm-hmm. there were phonics practices, there were sight word practices. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of magical. I, just, I had to take a picture of it. I laid it all out <laughs> and took a picture because it was just like dreams kind of coming through, coming, wow. coming alive mm-hmm. and seeing it for your own child was really, really special. I mean, I've always cared about kids, but now having my own kid receive this is really a special, special thing. Yeah. I feel like the word you said magical and Mm -hmm. you can't see it again, but I got goosebumps again. So (laughs) fabulous memory choices there. Um, but I feel, I mean, how, like what a great experience to, you know, you obviously the work that you guys are doing, you and your team at the district level to put this stuff in place, but then to actually like be in a place where you can not just see, you know, when you step in or whatever, but to see your kid come home and bring it home and like, oh, like, yes. Wow. It is- has been really special, <laughs> really, really special. That is awesome. And I'll wow. never forget it. No. Well, and I hope in that moment, also you and your team took a little second to like, guys, it is sticking. The work is sticking. It's happening. Yeah. That's yeah. and, it, and it's been, you know, it's been a challenge yeah. Education oh, lately has been wonderful and challenging all at the same time. And so it really was a really special moment, a proud moment. Yes. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Okay. Well, so kind of transitioning from those memories and especially with, you know, I mean, having that, the personal one, but how, how are you guys doing that? I mean, how are you thinking through? the 
I'm trying to think of the word, the magnitude. I mean, just how big the district is that you're supporting 43 elementary schools and working to create that same experience for every kid. Mm-hmm. How, yeah. How are y'all doing that work? So it's kind of interesting. My team and I have a pretty unique perspective that we have taught in the district mm-hmm. and then um, have been instructional coaches in the district. And then now we're serving um, as coordinators. And we have gone from teaching when there were some mentor lessons, but for the majority, you kind of put it all together yourself with your team. And that really varied from school to school and team to team. And so that created some great opportunities for learning, but also some challenges, especially as a leader. Um, when I was an instructional coach on some campuses, especially going from campus to campus, everything was, was really different curriculum-wise. Um, and then we got the chance to, it was a really unique opportunity to put together some cohesion and connectedness with the adoption in 2018, 2019, gearing up for implementation in 1920. And so we we looked at how can we support teachers in having cohesion across the system because we have 43 schools, I think it was 40, 41 at the time. And we we have kids who move from school to school and so we wanted to create cohesion for the student experience and then also for teachers. Um, And then we also saw, you know, we didn't really have a phonics curriculum at the time. We didn't have anything to address PA really, you know, teachers were hopefully putting that together, but there was no system-wide approach. And so we had the chance to um, develop a phonics curriculum for third through fifth grade in um, combination or in partnership with our dyslexia therapist. And then we, yeah, they are amazing. Um, And then we also got the chance to adopt a phonics curriculum. And then as we were going, we realized, you know, there's some phonological awareness gaps that we have in our curriculum. And so then we adopted Hegarty and we have rolled that out district-wide. And so it's been something that is easy for teachers to implement, um, but also is something that we can support as a system when we're developing system-wide professional learning, but then also working with individual teachers and teams and instructional coaches to really help move student learning forward. Yes. And so it was, it was pretty, it was a really unique opportunity for us to do that because we had been working inside the system and teaching inside the system when there wasn't that cohesion and it knew what that felt like and then got the opportunity with the text adoption um, or the text revision and then the curriculum adoption to create some cohesion that which is awesome it's it's worked for our for our kids it's really um it's really been amazing to watch that yeah. despite the pandemic our kids are still growing in literacy and it's it's pretty special. Oh, that's huge. Well, and I was going to say, you know, you guys are one of those where, you know, what, what you were doing pre-pandemic, you're, you've made, you've maintained that work, that system, mm-hmm. those structures, but now, I mean, your kiddos are performing above where they were before that. Right. So it's like, yes. which, and that's so hard thinking of like taking, taking out the pandemic, but like 
you know, when you implement something new and it takes like, what do they say? It takes three years to see that implementation really take hold. So, you know, obviously that high level, like that third, you guys working at that 30,000 foot view and creating mm-hmm. those systems and structures for teachers to create that cohesion and that connectedness from campus to campus. And I'm sure, you know, like cohort campuses to cohort campuses. Wow. That's awesome that it is um, fit. It's, it's sticking, sticking. Yeah. Yes. Um, which has been great. And then, you know, thinking about when we're developing readers and writers, you know, there's a simple view of reading, but it turns out teaching kids to read and write is far from simple. It is, it is really complex. And so thinking about our different schools, yes, we have a system-wide approach, but we also, as, um, as we're serving our schools and serving our different campuses, we have to make sure that there is an opportunity for flexibility. Right. And so inside of our instructional models, we have a time for whole group instruction, mm-hmm. but there's also a great deal of time, the majority of the time where teachers can make instructional decisions that are best for the kids that they serve. Because we have schools that go from you know 2% economically disadvantaged all the way to 47%. And then we have schools with very different demographics. And so we want to be able to serve all of them well while having cohesion, but allowing the system to move and make changes at the individual classroom level. And then also at the school level is really important to us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I think it creates, you know, those opportunities, like you mentioned, where every kid is able to get what they need because at mm-hmm. you know one school they may not need as much of a but at another they do so mm-hmm. giving your teachers what they need but then also giving them some autonomy and flexibility and obviously the resources to do what they need i think is setting setting everybody up for success that's awesome yeah. i love thank that thank you it's been it's been fun and it's been hard um yeah. but I was listening recently to a podcast from Indra Nui, who was the CEO at PepsiCo. Mm-hmm. And she talked about the, um, how important it is for leaders to be able to both zoom out, but also mm-hmm. zoom way in to look at how is this serving individual schools um, or individual, individual students, but then also have that system approach and being able to flexibly kind of zoom in and out to make sure what you're what you're doing and the resources that you have are robust enough that any kid who walks into any school can be served and can be served well. So then, so thinking of, so we kind of talked about, I mean, you're, you know, you're, you guys, you and your team are creating those systems and those structures that, you know, kind of that, the big view here, Mm -hmm. here is our framework. This is where Mm -hmm. we fit, but then going down to a campus level and a grade level in a teacher's classroom, where does that flexibility come in? Like how is a teacher able to make, make decisions and, and, you know, kind of create their own uh, teacher vibe? Where does that, how does that fit? Yeah. So we have historically been a workshop district um, Mm -hmm. before the adoption and then now. And the thing that we love about that is that there are, you know, 10 minutes in a workshop, Mm -hmm. depending on the grade level, five to 10 minutes that is, you know, whole group instruction. And we try to keep that generally succinct, 
by no means are we asking teachers to utilize a script or anything like that, but we're all working towards the same outcome and the same learning target. And teachers are able to put their own spin on the lessons that they're delivering, utilizing their strengths, and then also leveraging the strengths of the kids in their classroom and the interests of the kids in their classroom. And then after that five to 10 minutes, kids then are able to go into independent work time or partner work time. Mm -hmm. And we do this in math as well. And so kids have choice in how they're going to be solving problems or how they're going to be, um, what they're going to be writing about, what they're going to be reading about. They have choice in that. And the teacher helps facilitate that, but also allows for a great deal of choice. And the great thing about that is that it's motivating for kids, Mm -hmm. but it's also motivating for the teacher. The teacher has a lot of choice. And so she can leverage, he or she can leverage their own strengths. And then again, tap into the needs and the strengths of the kids in their own classroom. Mm. Well, and I mean, how powerful is that? And when I feel like it's a, it's a simple word choice, but really Mm -hmm. thinking about what that could look like in a classroom. Uh, I mean, I don't know. I think about my own son. I'm like, <laughs> okay, what is, what is my goal? I want you to get dressed. So it's like, yeah. do you want to put your shirt on first or your pants on first? Like, yes. but it's, it's this like illusion of choice, but a choice nonetheless. And he feels like he owns what it is that he's doing. And I feel like that's the same thing that, you know, you guys are working to let your teachers do, and then your teachers to let their students do is Mm -hmm. to really create this environment where everybody has ownership. And I think that 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 makes me excited for my kiddo to be a student in Frisco ISD. I love that. Yes. And it, it motivates people. It motivates kids. It motivates teachers. It's not easy to provide a lot of choice and give a lot of, um, a lot of open time for teachers to meet individual student needs or meet the needs of a student group. That is, that comes with a lot of challenges, but it also provides an opportunity for them to leverage their strengths and be the teacher that they are with their giftings um, without having to, you know, we see a lot of programs now that are coming out that are every minute of the day is scripted. And that's not, we haven't seen that work. And that really takes a lot of joy out of teaching. Well, and mm-hmm. speaking of joy, I'm making an assumption here, but how do the students feel about this, about the structure and about the work? I mean, how does your son feel about having that choice in reading and choice in writing and obviously things you have to do, right? Like these are the lessons, these are the grade level expectations that we're trying to achieve, but you can do that through writing about this or while reading this. So how does that, how do they feel? I can speak for my son for sure. And then also kids that um, we get to go out and work with. They, My son loves having choice. I mean, he's the kind of kid, I think he's going to be um, an Enneagram eight. He's definitely a challenger. He, um, and so him having choice really gives him agency and excitement and it empowers him. And so, but there are also kids who having so much choice feels, um, feels challenging. It feels paralyzing. And so teachers having the ability to give some parameters and supports and scaffolds along the way so that when they are up into the upper grades, they are able to make choices for themselves and they're excited about it. And especially when you put kids in groups and you give them, you know, choice with support, 
it's amazing to see what they produce. I was walking through a school this morning and I was looking at the different nonfiction work that they had done. They had done some projects and every kids, every groups was really different. Some was about sports. Some was about, you know, animals that they loved. Some was about the life cycles and the choice. You could see it on the page. There was so much volume because they got to choose. Right. And it was really it's special. Ugh. Both in our, uh, where we have kids that have, you know, limited experiences mm -hmm. that they're coming with. And also those who have, you know, they, they go to Paris for spring right. break and things right. like that. You know, it's, it's interesting to see how much every kid can rise and every teacher can rise when they are given choice yes. and empowerment. Well, and I especially love what you said, <laughs> choice with support, because I think sometimes if you are not, you know, well-versed in what like the workshop structure is, it can seem very willy nilly for lack of a better word, you know, that it's just like this free for all, but I'm like, mm -hmm. but it, it makes me think of, and this is just because it's on my brain, but like working out, like if I'm going to a class with a coach, here's my whole group lesson. Here's what we're trying to get through the exercise or whatever it is, but then he here's how you can get there. If you are a master, then this, go with option A. But if you need mm -hmm. some support, here's B, C, or D, but we're all working toward that same goal. We're just going to get there differently. So I love that, that choice with support or those scaffolds that are included to help support kiddos either to achieve more because they're already there or get them to where they need to be along the way without having to take away all of the choice. Yes. Yes. And teachers are brilliant. Oh, I mean, they are degreed. They have additional certifications. Many of them have post-secondary degrees. Mm -hmm. um, and they, I don't know, it seems like in the media lately, we've seen some things that, I don't know, that don't portray teachers as the brilliant thinkers that they are. And they are. Yes. They are oh, thinkers. Absolutely. They are leaders. They are yes. leaders. Exactly. Yes. They are leaders. Oh gosh. Yes. I mean, it is, it is that profession for sure that gets taken, taken for granted. And it is, you know, it feels like, especially lately has been one that typically gets attacked first. And it's, that is the, the hardest work I've ever done. And teachers are harder, harder workers than, than many people. It's some next level. I don't, I don't, I don't like saying uh, superheroes because they're like, we're human. We're not super like we have, you know, all the same things that everybody else does, but I don't know. It's hard. They're pretty special that. human beings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's exactly. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so thinking through all of that, zooming in, zooming out, like creating those systems, but also providing some flexibility. So for everybody who's here tuning in, what, what would kind of be a, a charge? Like, what should everybody else think about and consider when, you know, working to create some, some of this in their own classroom or district or, you know, whatever their space is? Yeah, I think thinking about systems, whether you're in a leadership level in a large district or a small school, whether you're a team leader, or even the leader of your own classroom, thinking about what systems do I have in place and how are they serving me? And how are they serving my kids, most importantly? And where are my strengths? Where are some areas that I need to grow? And then 
really tapping into different resources that help you grow in those areas. You know, are, do you need more support in providing choice or, you know, leveraging the choices that you have as an educator? And maybe you need to refine those areas. And so there are so many places that you can find that learning. You know, if it's, I don't really have systems in place yet that are serving me that I can count on then there are ways to develop that as well, you know, both from the education sphere, but then also from businesses, especially like Frisco ISD is a really large scale organization, if you think about it that way. And so um, different, different businesses can help um, tap, you can tap into those in order to, to grow your system wide thinking, whether again, you're on the classroom level an individual classroom or all the way up to a district leader. Yes. I love that. I think that is, um, I don't know. I think about even just day-to-day life, you know, not just work life, but day-to-day, like I work better with a system. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, and I do want, um, you are a phenomenal follow on Twitter. I mean, I feel like you put a lot out there, you know, work that's happening, learning that's going on. So, um, but I can't off the top of my head, remember your Twitter handle. Gosh, you know, it's funny. I can't either. So I'm going to look it up here. Well, I have to look mine up all the time. I'm like, is it Andrea Coachman? Just a Coachman? Yes. Okay. It is at Bria, B-R-E-A-K Jones 3. Perfect. I'll include that in the notes with all of, all of the things, but I do. I mean, I feel like Twitter's always been a place where I find, I don't know, little nuggets. And I think yeah, uh, you know, I feel like the more people you can follow, the the smarter your room becomes, right? Like, yes, absolutely. Let's just grow that. Awesome. Well, oh my gosh, thank you, Bria, so much for for sharing and just you know giving us some insight into to what and how you know you guys the work that you guys do in Frisco ISD. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. I can't wait to tap into more podcast episodes. They've been oh. amazing so far. <laughs> you are the best. Thank you so much. <laughs>